Hey, my name's Emma. Hey, my name's Maddie. And you're listening to The Pilot's Pandemic. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, welcome back to this week's episode of the Pilots Pandemic. You're here with your host, Emma, and our co-host, Maddie. Hey guys. And we are here with our guest, Courtney. Hi, guys. Um, My name is Courtney. I am a student pilot at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University. I do a couple different types of mentoring on campus, whether um, with our women's groups or aviation groups. And I am, you know, involved with uh, mental health and uh, air medical reform on and off campus and activism related to that. Thank you for joining us today, Courtney. I'm really excited to get into a discussion with you today. I know Maddie is as well, and she's going to start us off today. Yeah, Courtney, I'm, I'm just glad we finally connected. We've been friends on Instagram for a little bit. And as always, we usually like to start out with asking the question, how you got into aviation and who kind of inspired your journey to, to pursue becoming a pilot? So it's always kind of like funny for me to like talk about this with other people because um, I feel like how I got into aviation is definitely a little different than um, everybody else's reason. Um, I was raised in a aviation based like household. My dad was an aircraft mechanic in the Air Force, um, now retired, but my love for aviation didn't really stem from that. It actually stemmed from Star Wars. So when I was a freshman in high school, I um, went to see um, The Force Awakens in uh, the movie theater with a ton of friends, a ton of family. And I just, I fell in love with like the pilots and, you know, of like that universe. And from there, see, I love it. Love, love, love it. Um, But yeah, no, that's where it really stemmed from. And then I know like, you know, not too long after that, Captain Marvel was released and that's oh my gosh stop you're speaking my whole entire language right now I'm sorry to cut you off but like you don't understand those are inspiration inspiration yeah no and it it always it's like I feel like it's unique enough to me at least that it like always makes for a really interesting like conversation with people and then it also gives me like the opportunity to be a little bit of a dork but um yeah like honestly like a lot of different like um like fantasy related media is what like struck that initial interest and it wasn't until like oh my goodness I had applied my sophomore and junior year of high school for the chief of staff air force like private pilot scholarship and both times I was denied. I didn't get into that. But my junior year of high school that, you know, that summer, I was actually able to apply for another Air Force scholarship, which was the Dedillion scholarship. And that's what actually got me flying. So for like, you know, two or three years, I had this like minor interest and it, but it wasn't until like my junior senior year of high school that I actually started flying and that um, I actually was like had the opportunity to get into it. 
I love that. I'm, I'm cracking up at what you said about Captain Marvel and even Star Wars, because I was like during my private pilot training is when Captain Marvel came out. And I remember I was kind of in a lull, like with my training, like I just, like we were talking about, I did not feel inspired. I just felt kind of like plateaued out and I went to go see that movie and oh my gosh, I, it literally like propelled me. I I mean, I cannot even explain how much it inspired me. And I have like a Captain Marvel pin on my, like my key ring. And then right after that, I went to Target. I got a Captain Marvel book bag and that was my flight bag. I shit you not. Like I have pictures of me soloing with my Captain Marvel book bag behind me, just shining. No, I <laughs> shining absolutely in the sun. love that. Yo, Do all that. pilots like Star Wars? Is that a thing? Is my husband obsessed? I think so. I dream about Star universal. Wars. <laughs> like yeah, it's, it's, it's bad. Whenever I have like dreams about flying, it's normally like Star Wars, like, like I'm, in that universe I can't explain it it's so weird I don't know why I think it's because I used to watch it a lot when I was little with my cousins and then I I started re-watching the whole series again when the Mandalorian came out because I started watching that and I was like I love this but like I feel like I need to go back and re-watch all the movies so ended up doing that and now I dream about it all the time Yeah, no, I totally, totally relate to that. And like, as like a huge, like, you know, like self-proclaimed nerd, like I have everything. So I have like, like, make, like Aviator Mickey Mouse. I have like Hello Kitty flying in a plane. And I like, I just love collecting stuff like that. So I totally relate to the, um, like the borderline obsession when it comes to like buying stuff that's like pilot related. I know. Okay. I'm going to ask you a question, a serious question in a moment, but have you seen the Barbie jet, like the Barbie plane? Do I don't have the Barbie plane. This is a little embarrassing. I have like the off-brand, like Walmart branded, like Barbie plane back in Georgia. Okay, (laughs) girl. You know what? If it's a plane and it got some kind of Barbie, I'm here for it. My um, my boyfriend's little sister got like the Barbie jet this year for Christmas, and I mean, I almost I about pooped my pants. I was like, oh my god. I was like, okay, wait, wait, wait. I'm 22 years old. I should not be feeling this way. I know I was so jealous. And at Target right now, they have like a a knockoff American Girl doll that's an airline pilot. And I'm like, I need it. Mm -hmm. Yep. No. And my mom, so my mom really loves, um, so like being pretty much like the only aviator of the family, my mom like really loves going to Walmart, Target, like wherever she can find anything. I'll like come back home from like Florida, go to Georgia, you know, for, like spring break or winter break. And all of a sudden she's like, here's all the pilot kids toys that I bought you for your pilot, like for the pilot thing guest room that we have. And I'm like, oh my God, like I love them. They make me so happy. But my mom like loves doing that. And it's like, it's like such a treat to go home and like have that. But um, yeah, we have it all. Like I can tell you the amount of like different like toys on the market that it's like literally just geared towards like, you know, like little girls wanting to grow up and become pilots which is awesome I love it yeah I love that 
I love that. I think it's good to see that kind of representation because when I was growing up, you did not see that. Like me growing up, I would have loved to have an American girl doll or a doll that was a pilot. My dad being a pilot and a captain for an airline, like I loved stuff like that. So, you know, when you would go into the gas stations, they would sometimes have like, what was that called? Hess or hop? What am I thinking of? I can't remember what it was (laughs) called, but you could sometimes get airplanes and like the fuel trucks every now and then I would get that, but they didn't ever have like anything marketed towards girls that was aviation geared. But yeah, it is good. It's cool to see it. But I think that's so adorable that your mom does that for you. That is awesome. I love that. Yeah, it literally makes me so happy. I absolutely love it. So as an aviation student, what have you learned about yourself that you didn't necessarily know before school? So my only question with this, um, when you say school, do you mean like when I started private pilot training back home in Georgia, or do you mean like now that I'm um, full-time in university? Um, let's say both. Like, cause I learned, I definitely learned okay. a lot about myself when I went to, I only went to community college, but I learned about myself a lot in community college. But then when I started yeah. private pilot training, whole new ball game, I feel like I learned like a lot about myself. So just give me both your takes. What was your experience? So I want to say, like, I feel like I, I don't, I've, I've taken a lot from both experiences, but like leading up to this point, one of the biggest things that I took away was from when I started my private pilot training, because flying, when I first got into it, it scared me. Like I wanted absolutely nothing to do with it. Um, it just, it terrified me, you know, being, you know, in this metal tin in the sky, like I didn't know what I was doing. I had no prior experience. Like I, I had no idea and it scared me. However, I switched from my initial instructor to an instructor that finished out my private pilot training with me, and that was awesome. Me and him got along really well, and one of the biggest things that he helped me with, whether, you know, he was aware of it or not, was anxiety. The anxiety of flying, you know, the lack of confidence in your flying abilities or your abilities outside of aviation, and that was, like, one of the biggest takeaways I have had with aviation is Aviation has built my confidence, especially as somebody who is more anxious in nature. Um, and that that's really benefited me because it's given me the opportunity to, you know, go out and do public speaking. It's, you know, I've been on the news before for aviation related wow. events, things like that. And, you know, if it I don't if it hadn't been for that experience or the experiences that, you know, built that for me, I don't think I would be where I'm at today. And I don't think I would have opened the kind of doors that I've had or had the opportunity to open. So that's been like my biggest takeaway. Um, I love that. I keep saying that. I'm like, I love that. Cause I feel like I've met my, I kind of feel like I met my twin a little bit um, (laughs) because I feel like I've always, I definitely like throughout school, my whole entire, like from elementary school and on, I feel like I've always been an anxious kid and I grew up flying with my dad, but when it came time to like, he really wanted me to solo when I was 16. And I I've said this before, I was pretty much petrified. Like I was cool with the whole flying aspect when he was in control. But the minute that I had to be in control and land the plane. I was like, Mm-mm, nope, nope, nope. Your controls can't do it. I just couldn't. And I had this really, really, I just had a fear. Um, so when I started flight training, it really helped me. I don't know. It just helped me character build a lot. And I feel like now I, in certain social situations, I feel like I can still be a little bit more shy and a little bit more anxious. But the minute yeah. anyone like asked me about flying, it's like, I open up and I don't know if it's because I love it. So it's easy for me to talk about, but I definitely feel like it's, 
it's given me confidence, like you said. Yeah, no, exactly. And I agree 100%. And I know that like now um, that I'm like in university and I'm like you know, here at Riddle, one of the biggest things that I've tried to like utilize this confidence for is helping others. And that's why I'm involved in mentoring on campus because like I know that there's people like me or anybody else who feels anxious and like I know we exist in aviation. And like, you know, whether you're that person or not, you know, I want to help you. I want to be there for you. You know, you need someone to talk to. I'm here for you to talk. You need somebody to help you with, you know, things that are going on in the flight department. I'm here to help. And, you know, so I utilize that to um, assist others because at the end of the day, I feel like that's kind of the biggest reason I was put here on this earth is honestly just to help people at the end of the day. So I try to utilize that as much as I can. Yeah, that's so important to Courtney. I think a lot of times too, because as someone who has not, who doesn't have a PPL, but one day will get one, just the, there's just this fear of the unknown that gives you anxiety, especially when you're someone who wants to be good at everything. I've always, I've been built that way, like as a student athlete, always to perform my best. And so I think with flying, it's like, there's a lot of unknowns, especially when you first start flying. And so that can be very anxiety inducing. So good on you for like helping other people with that knowing that you can do that and providing that service to others. That's, that's a really awesome quality to have. Yeah. yeah I appreciate it. Um, what I'm here I'm, for. I'm glad that you talk about it openly. Cause I think it's really important to destigmatize like that anxiety and that it's okay to feel nervous. Like nobody yeah. told me that throughout my private pilot training, it was so glamorized. It's like, you just fly every opportunity, you get the chance to fly and you should be utmost grateful. But there were definitely times when like, even when I hadn't flown in a week, I'd be driving to my flight list and I get to the airport. I'm like, I'm nervous. I don't know why, but I'm nervous. And nobody ever sat back to tell me that it's okay to feel nervous because nervousness is involved with so many different other emotions. Sometimes you can be super excited and it can manifest itself in nervousness. So I really like that you're really open to speaking out about that. Yeah, no, exactly. And at the end of the day, like, I feel like people, one, push aside emotions. And that's something I think that outside of aviation, both inside and outside, like as a society, we seem to struggle with, like, the lack of ability, not only to feel out our emotions, but to understand them. And that's the thing at the end of the day, if you're, you know, naturally anxious, it's okay. You can still do all sorts of crazy and awesome stuff. You know, nothing like that should ever stop you because at the end of the day, you're still going to be able to accomplish whatever, you know, whatever it is that you want to accomplish. And as long as you understand what's going on inside your head, like you got all the tools you need. It's, you know, you know, you can only go up from there, you know, so to speak, but yeah. I feel like sometimes it's almost better to be a little bit anxious as a pilot because it kind of keys you in a little bit more to things that some people aren't necessarily like aware about. I don't know. I feel like sometimes you can definitely tell the difference between when you're flying with somebody who's a little bit more like type A versus somebody who's a little bit more relaxed. Um, And I definitely think having a little bit of nerves is a good thing. You're definitely more aware Yeah, I mean, I agree 100%. I mean, this is like the whole reason why when you're going through private pilot, I mean, even instrument ground school or training, like they teach you about like, you know, basically being self-aware, like don't be macho, don't get ahead of yourself. You know, like as, as people, we're not perfect. So we should never expect ourselves to be perfect. And if we don't have that expectation, that's not to say that you shouldn't expect to do your very best, 
but when you kind of like realize that at the end of the day you're never going to be perfect it makes your life so much easier to live and all of a sudden things feel like they actually start to fall into place because you're no longer judging yourself through lenses of like perfectionism and it just it makes it gives you the ability to breathe be you know a really good pilot be a really good person well said well put I was going to ask you you know how becoming a private pilot changed how you view yourself but I definitely think you just encapsulated all of that well I'm really glad to hear that so I guess I'll go next then (laughs) but uh (laughs) Court what was the hardest thing for you to learn when you started flying um the hardest thing that I learned when I started flying that's a good question um honestly, all of it. Like, I don't know if that's the very best response for a question like that. But when I first started flying, I mean, I had to go through ground school twice and I had no idea what I was doing, you know, and it was crazy because, you know, I, all these people, I knew all these people, you know, that I flew with at the airport who, you know, like, yeah, maybe they're just now a private pilot student, but, you know, they've been in the air force for 30 years and, you know, they've been around planes their entire life. And that was just, really hard for me not only not having any sort of understanding like at the beginning of like you know what I was doing but I also didn't really have a network so that was really hard when I started getting into flight training and it wasn't until I met like the only female CFI at my previous airport that I finally like found that there's like women all over the world who are more than happy and more than willing to help you and she had introduced me to um, a couple of different like Facebook groups so like things like ladies in flight training women in aviation different groups like that and like all of a sudden I had like all these women like thousands of women that I could network with and talk with and that's where I've met a handful of mentors you know people who have written me letters of recommendation people who give me advice you know and things like that. And that was honestly, that was up until that point, it was really hard, you know, because I'm surrounded by, you know, nothing but men. There was like, I want to say like no theme, like women at that time that I could, I can think of at this moment that like were training while I was training, maybe one or two, but like, that's the thing. You're just surrounded by, by men. And and it was, it was really hard as, you know, a young female pilot, because I, I had no one, I had no one who I could relate to. I had no one, you know, not only were there no, like, little to no females for me to relate to, but there was also little to no people my age, you know, so at the time I was 16, 17, there was, there was no one my age, and that was crazy, because, like, you know, like, what do you do, and eventually it became easier. I met women online who were more than happy to talk to me. I met people my age, people who were going, you know, planning on going to Riddle, and um, that really helped with that hardship. Was it like kind of disheartening for you when you failed the first time, the ground school the first time? Um, believe it or not, I honestly don't recall it being um, because I had no idea what was going on. And um, the CFI, again, um, the same the same lady who had shown me the, um, the groups on Facebook kind of, I guess, made me feel better about it when she explained it like, the ground school this was like the first time that they had done it like um you know so they were doing like you know classes for folks and they would do it once to twice a week you know be the same people same price etc cetera, etc cetera. that would that was the first time they had ever done it so the first run through so it was like super like all over the place I want to say the first thing we started learning was how to read a sectional and like how to cross-country plan 
So mm-hmm. like we did not have the knowledge to be cross country planning, but that was like for whatever reason, the first thing we started with. Um, so I actually didn't feel too bad having to go through ground school for a second time, um, just because the first run was like super wacky. It seemed like they had some kinks to figure out before, like they were actually good at teaching what they needed to teach you. Exactly. It seemed like they were still like figuring out like, how do we teach this curriculum? Cause like when I did go through the second time, that was their second run. And by that time, you know, like when you paid for it, you got, you know, all sorts of different books, you got your sectionals, your, um, your plotters, you know, your E6B, things like that. And the second one run was like really awesome. That was like, it was set up perfectly. So they figured it out eventually. <laughs> oh God. I took a, I've normally, whenever I've done ground school, the past two times I've done it, I've always done an online course and then supplemented it with just one-on-ones with the CFI. But when I did my instrument rating, I did one of those. It was like a class that you paid for and you went every single Sunday and sat and it was like a four hour long class. And (laughs) I was so lost the entire time. I mean, like I, it was, that was my first introduction to like what instrument, the instrument rating was going to be like. And it was not a great way to start off. I was like, um, okay. That was when I was like, yeah, every, everything that everyone told me is right. This is going to be super hard. And then I went through that. I ended up starting to fly and actually do the flying IFR and then got sporties online IFR ground school. And then it was like all the dots clicked, but I understand what you mean. <laughs> yeah, and honestly, I want to say like history is repeating itself with me right now because um I did have a super long medical grounding and it wasn't until like um December, late November of um 2021, so last year that I finally got back into it and I was grounded right at end of course. So when I finally got back like had the opportunity to get back into it, you know, I finished my written exam, I got my medical ungrounding or my medical grounding lifted. I all of a sudden was being thrown into like, you know, the same flight training, but I had to learn it all over again. I'm like, I have no idea what's going on. I don't like, I don't remember any of this. It's been almost a year. So that was like super crazy because it almost like repeated itself, you know, instead of it being ground school done twice, it was instrument done twice. Um, just because of where I ended up in my, um, my flight training and like my medical grounding. Do you feel like now that you've got like gone through it twice though, that you really feel like, you know what you're doing now? I feel so much better. Um, a part of it is not only because like, I'm finally, like I finally had the opportunity to like receive the medical attention that I needed to, but going through, like, I won't say like, I'm going through the program from square one again, they did start me back up right where I left off. So there were some bumps in the road in regards to that, but like, you know, I, on, at the end of the day, didn't even care. Like if I repeated a lesson three or four times, I didn't even care because that was just giving me the opportunity to continue to get things like, you know, knocked into my head and like, you know, like actually understood, like, you know, last year it was really hard for me to like retain information, make sure that like I stayed on top of things. And now that I'm back into it, like it, it just feels so much better. It's like 10 times better. I feel like I retain information better. I feel like now that I've had the opportunity to go through things like once or twice, you know, even three or four times that it just, it's really benefited me. And maybe other people look at it as like, you know, you're not like you're failing, you failed this lesson, you know, so you should be upset. But honestly, I'm not because at the end of the day, it's, it's just, it's 
helping me learn at the pace that I need to learn at. And I really would argue it's making me a better pilot. That I've, I, girl, amen, amen, amen. <laughs> amen. I, you know, it took me like, like I said, I started at an accelerated program as a 161 student at a 141 flight school. And I watching all these kids around me just go so quickly through training and I'm not able to fly every single day of the week. I'm yeah. working a full-time job, just the, all these outside stressors, my family's moving this, that, and the other like life outside of flight school. And, and it took me longer. It took me about a year to get my private pilot. And I remember feeling so much shame. Like when I finally soloed and I posted that on Instagram, there was this in one, one side of me was so proud of myself. And I was like, yes, like, I feel awesome about posting this. The other half of me was embarrassed because I, I don't know, you know, I just thought that somebody would look at that and think, well, why is it taking her so long? You know, she must not be cut out for this, or she must be stupid, or she must be failing. And it took me a really long time to be okay with accepting that everyone's journey in aviation everyone's process to this is completely different i don't have the time nor do i have the money to be able to go through training start to finish in six yeah. or nine months and that's okay but i feel like even though it took me you know 75 hours to get my private pilot those 75 hours were well spent because when i got my private pilot i felt more than prepared and coming into my commercial rating, I was more than prepared. And I did really well in my commercial rating or not my commercial rating, my instrument rating. So I think it's, I think it's awesome that you're able to be honest with yourself because I know there are a lot of people maybe listening that are struggling with that, that expectation. Oh, 100%. And it's, I totally feel where you're coming from. For me, um, the slight difference is like when I was doing my private. So like when I was a senior in high school, like I was on top of the world. Like I was literally like living my best life because, you know, it took me under a year to get my private. I worked part-time as a dispatcher at the same flight school that, you know, I was training at. I was a full-time college student, but I was also still in high school. So while I was attending Middle Georgia State University, as an aviation student, I still had like my JROTC class at high school. And it wasn't until I came to university, you know, I'm almost two years into university here at Embry-Riddle and I still haven't gotten my instrument. I got knocked off my high horse and I haven't, I've been slowly trying to get back on, you know, like trying to make sure that like, you know, I'm good and you know, everything's fine, but you know, it's, it's taken me a long time and I'm still not done with my instrument, but like, you know, I think about the the day when it comes, you know, when I finally get to post online, then I got my instrument, how excited I am about that and how happy and proud I, of, of myself that I am. Like, it's also scary because I also know that, like, on the other end of this duality, there's a part of me that's going to be ashamed because why did it take me two years to get a certification that takes most people four yeah. or five months? You know, and that's um, I feel that's I something that I have to battle with on the daily because it's something that becomes easily discouraging. Yeah, it's interesting because like if if your goal is to get to the airlines, which I don't know for sure if it is, Courtney, but it is the you don't think about that when you're an airline pilot or when you're at your dream job. You're not like, yeah. oh, it took me longer than eight months to get my PPL. But I think when you're in it. And everyone surrounding you and telling you like, oh, I got my PPL in six months or eight months. Yep. 
it can be very daunting. And that does have an, like a toll on your mental health at some point, you know, like that's what we see a lot of is people pushing to get their PPL really quickly and get their VFR, their IFR rating. And, and I think that's very stressful for them. And they put a lot on their shoulders when you don't necessarily have to do that. I feel like being more patient and going about at a slower pace actually makes you a better pilot. Yeah. Oh no, 100%. Yeah, I, d- I definitely feel like, you know, it, it all adds up and there's, there's certain things that you don't really give yourself credit for. Like myself, you know, I look at the amount of hours and the amount of time that it took me and I never sit back to think, okay, well, look at your logbook. There was a month where you didn't fly right there. So you had to yeah. go back to school. So, and you flew and you got two flight lessons in uh, around three and a half hours in your logbook that week. But then you also had to take another two weeks off because that week the plane was down for maintenance. The one yep. flight lesson you couldn't do because the weather was too shitty. Then the next week you had to work. So now you're back again. And it's like those little three hour, four hour little increments where you have to go back and you're retraining or working on what you worked on two weeks, a week ago, it adds up. And you're not really like looking at those individual hours saying to yourself, oh, well, I can explain that to myself and, and that's explainable. You know, it's understandable that I have those hours, but when you're looking at the whole total, you don't think that way at all. But then it's funny because the, like you said, Maddie, the further you get down the line, all it matters is the more hours you have in your logbook, the better. Um, yeah. so it's, it's very interesting to see that dynamic. And I'm just, like I said, again, I'm glad that you're able to be honest with yourself about it, but definitely getting your IFR rating is a huge accomplishment. And please, you know, I know I feel you when you said, I I feel ashamed. I get that, but definitely give yourself more credit because like I said, everyone's journey with this is so incredibly different. It could take you two years to get your instrument rating, but then it could take you two months to get your commercial. You know, you just never know. So Mm -hmm. With all that being said, what was like the easiest part of learning how to fly or what was your favorite part of training? My favorite part? Um, honestly, I, I just love being there. So um, my favorite part was definitely like the in-flight and air factor, um, especially back in Georgia, because I just had would have such a great time with my instructor. And um, I, I loved flying around Georgia. I loved flying to Alabama or to South Carolina, depending on the kind of cross country we're going on. Even here in Florida, I love flying around Daytona, like flying over the beach pretty much every time I go up in the air, seeing some of the really pretty sunsets and whatnot. Like it's fun flying over the speedway. Like I, I love the in-air, in-flight um, portion of that. Um, and I, again, it, not necessarily... Um, flight training specific, but networking with people. I love networking. Um, So I love like meeting people who are like-minded. So that being like aviators, I love meeting aviators and I love meeting, you know, female pilots and pilots from all over the world, you know, things like that. It makes me so happy. Like I'm such a social person that I love just having like conversations and like, you know, different discussions and whatnot with like people who are like literally in the same career field as me, or at least planning on being in that career field. You're talking our talk about like the networking because (laughs) that's kind of my favorite thing too is when I started podcasting with Emma, I was like, gosh, I'm just meeting all of these amazing people who have like inspirational stories and all kinds of different backgrounds, but we're all in this aviation world. And it's also interesting because 
you guys will probably cross paths again when further along you get in your career. Cause my husband, he's in um, captain training right now. And he's like, babe, I'm, I'm literally in training with two people that I went to school with at central Washington. And this, he went to school with them like 10, 12 years ago. And now they're all in captain training. And I think that's such a cool thing to see like down the line, you like hook back up in that way and you all get to yeah. achieve your dreams together. Yeah, no, 100%. Even like things like, um, like different like career expos and whatnot. Like I know that like, you know, NGPA is putting on their like aviator, like career expo um, in February. I mean, like you're going to meet people there. You're going to meet people at the different like women in aviation conferences and things like that. And then you guys, you know, maybe that's the second time you meet and that's awesome, but maybe, you know, further down the line, you're going to meet three, four or five more times. And that's just really cool about aviation. It's just like how it just all kind of just comes together. It's a huge melting pot. Everyone seems to know each other. Like it's, it's a large community, but at the same time, it's so small in the sense that like, I don't know, you, you meet people and it feels like you're going to know them forever. Like it's kind of a somber note, but seeing all the people that came to my dad's funeral that my dad knew, like from like, just like throughout the the years, it was just incredible to see all these people that really cared and came from yeah. all over the place to be there. And it, it was funny because like what you were saying, Maddie, when my dad would go to training, those guys that he would be in training with, you know, depending on the situation, it would be guys that he had gone to training with before or flown with before. And they were all really good friends. Like when we go to visit my dad during training, we all go out to dinner together. And it just felt like you had known these people for forever. Yeah. They're like your family. And that's what I love about aviation is that, you know, you make those connections. You only have to know each other even for 24 hours, but then like yeah. when you back up again, you're like, Hey, we're the yeah. best friends. Yeah. I, yeah, love I love the community, love the community. And that's actually probably one of my favorite things about aviation. That's what I always tell people, you know, like, why do you stay in it? I stay in it because of the people I stay in it because of how forgiving the, um, to an extent, how forgiving the community is like, you know, it takes you five years to get your PPL literally at the end of the day, no one cares. Like, yeah. congratulations. You, you, you finally got your PPL and we're all proud of you for that, but nobody cares that it took, took you five years because at the end of the day, you're no different of a pilot than the rest of us are. So it's not only how forgiving the community can be, but also just how accepting everybody is and how like, you know, just warm and welcoming. And I just, I love pilots. I love, I love the people. Same, same. Yeah. I love, I love going out like to dinner with a group of pilots. It's like the best time you'll ever have. I don't know what it is, but they're, they're just, I, I don't know. Maybe it's the like-mindedness that like we all are thinking the same thing all the time because we're all trained so similar, but <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't know. I just, I really, I mean, right now, even like the fact that Courtney, I feel like I, I could literally come to Florida right now and we could hang and it would be like the best time. You know what I mean? Cause we're all like very similar in a sense. I don't know. Yes, we definitely are. I agree. It's definitely my favorite part about it. I feel like that's why I keep coming back and trying to do what I do. What me and Maddie do is just to, just to help the community. Because like you said, these are some of the most lovely people you will ever freaking meet. Oh yeah. No, I agree. 100%. I also feel like when I go out with a bunch of pilots, not being one, like I don't even have to say anything ever. I can just sit there and listen because you guys all love to talk. 
Yes, we do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what else are you supposed to do? I, it, it, you know, what's the worst is when you go on a cross country with like an instructor and they're not very like talkative and it's just yes. two hours of nothing, but like engine humming and like radio <laughs> static. And you're like, okay, mm, I'm just going to look outside. Yeah, no, but you've right, got you're your foggles on. To the air. You're not going to ever shut up. Yeah, like the worst is when you have on your foggles, you're not even like allowed to be looking outside. So it's just like, wow, it's the longest two hours ever. Agreed. Agreed. That was my last salon cross country. That was, that was fun to say the least. And then, you know, it's like silence and then them telling you, don't look out the window. Yeah. (laughs) Where'd you go on your cross country, Courtney? So originally I was supposed to go to St. Simon's Island in, uh, in Georgia. So like right near Tybee Island in Savannah I was so mad because the, the winds were, um, not favoring St. Simon's that day. So we couldn't do like the instrument approaches that we needed to do. Mm. So we ended up going to Tampa. So that was my first time quote unquote going to Tampa. And then from Tampa, we went to St. Petersburg, but that was like a pretty excruciating flight because that was like almost like, that was like four hours long, four and a half hours or something. And my instructor before I got grounded was like super like, you know, like, oh, like whenever we do our long cross country, you know, we're going to go somewhere to eat, you know, because it's going to be a long flight, this, this and that. And then I did the long cross country with like my, you know, post grounding instructor. And um, yeah, the whole time I'm just, I'm starving. Mm. had no food in me the whole and I was like oh can we please stop please nope I feel like I've gotten pretty lucky like the majority of the time I've gotten lucky with my instructors as far as cross countries because for some reason like I said pilots all have similar interests so like I I could sit there and talk to my instructor for hours about like stupid tv shows that we like or like the movies that we like but there were when I was doing my cross countries during my private pilot I would always bring snacks (laughs) Yeah, I would be bringing goldfish. I'd be like, hey, your controls reach around in the back, get my snack, like open the snack drawer. What you want? You want some goldfish? (laughs) No, exactly. And I tried to offer my instructor stuff. I was like, oh, do you want to like a, like a protein bar? No, thank you. I'm like, please. I'm trying to be be here for you because I know we're both starving. If I'm starving, I know you, you're starving just as much as I am. But yeah, no. Nope, nope, that's, nope. That's, that's the up. best kind of instructor though, when they're like, Yeah, we're gonna get ice cream or like we're gonna yes. go like we're gonna go get lunch or something. Like around here, some of the places will have like an ice cream truck, or there's one place which it just it burned down, man. Really sad. But there's a place in North Carolina that's it's like an airport, but they also have a barbecue restaurant. So like people will pull up, you fly in, you sit down, you get lunch and leave. And that was always like the fun thing to do, which I have no clue what's going on with it now. Cause like I said, it burned down. Um, super <laughs> unfortunate, but yeah. yeah, it makes a difference. Like we were talking about, like when you finally get a good instructor, like it really does make a difference with your learning. Like you're just more apt to learn when you're more comfortable and you have a yeah. good relationship with your CFI. No, 100%. And I mean, that was my, my private instructor. And that's exactly like the relationship we had. And it was really cool. Cause like when I got my private pilot, um, uh, license, um, he had this thing that every like student who passed, he would bring them out to lunch. So we had flown to South Carolina for my, um, check ride. And after that, we like rented one of the, um, like the, uh, rent cars. Oh yeah. The, the, um, the loaner car, the airport loaner car. (laughs) Yes, we rented a loaner car and we went to like downtown 
I think it was, we were like in Somerville or something. I would have to look back at my logbook, but that was really cool because we went to like some cute little like, you know, uh, ma and pop shop type nice. restaurants. And um, we had that. And that was really cool because that was just what he did with his students. He cared about his students and he, you know, wanted to support us. But, you know, not all instructors awesome. sadly are like that. I think they just don't realize like, you know, those small things go a long way with people. And like Emma said, it helps you become more comfortable. So I feel like then learning becomes easier because you've established that comfortability and that you do care. So I think that's super important. Um, I agree. But with that, we, um, you've already kind of touched on like having your hiccups with your, your private and everything. So what were those hardships that you faced along the way at Riddle? um that pertain to your health so biggest thing and I actually think it's been a year since my diagnosis but last year in January um after uh almost over a semester of like trying to figure out what was wrong with me I was diagnosed with hypothyroidism um so it's a thyroid disease um that just affects the um the hormonal balance of your body and that was really hard because um it, it really affected me at the end of the day. I mean, it literally affects every part of your body and that's exactly yeah. what was happening to me. Um, so, I mean, um, yeah. So my first semester here at Riddle, all of a sudden I just started having all these like medical problems. I had no idea what was wrong with me. Um, it was causing mental health problems. You know, I was just super stressed all the time. My mind was always racing. Um, you know, I was, I was struggling really, really badly in school. And I know a part of that was COVID and like that, you know, 90% of what we were, were, what we were still doing was online. So that was really hard, but the other half of it was because I was sick. It affected my relationship. So, you know, um, my ex and me, that was, that was really hard between the two of us because this whole time I was sick, but we had no idea why. Um, so it affected my relationship with him. It affected my relationship with my family, um, my friends. I had a really hard time being social and meeting people at the university. I mean, like there, it got to a point where like sometimes I just couldn't even get out of bed. Was it because I was lazy? It was just, it was a mental block, a mental and physical block that I just couldn't get out of bed. And it was just, it was really hard, really tough. And um, my first semester at Riddle, I was actually in Air Force ROTC because my whole plan, like, you know, once I started flying, um, I wanted to be a pilot for the Air Force, you know, so I was so like dead set on being a pilot for the Air Force that like when I transferred into Riddle, um, I transferred in with like, like 30, 40 credits worth of classes. And because of that, I had the opportunity of being a second year cadet um, just because of like where I was in my academics. And that was like really awesome. I was really proud of myself for being able to like yeah. do that. Mm-hmm. But yeah. sadly, you know, they had, you know, when you're a second year cadet, you have a higher expectation of you. So they expect you to like be more, you know, aware of, you know, rules, regulations, Air Force history, things like that. You know, they expected my PT to be like, you know, I, I, I was supposed to be on top of my PT and rightfully so, but like, it was really hard because when you're unknowingly sick, like I couldn't do those things. Yeah. You know, I remember I was like, so upset about like not knowing all the knowledge to a T that like the night before we had an inspection, I just like cried myself to sleep and I made myself like beyond sick because of like, just how much crying I was doing and like how stressed I was. Um, and I ended up having to miss out on that inspection because I just couldn't do it. I was, you know, I was 
not only upset, but like, I just couldn't do it like other people could. And um, the biggest catalyst for me leaving ROTC was not only my health, but like towards the end of it, when I was having my final evaluation done, um, something that stuck with, or yes, has like stuck with me since this evaluation was them telling me that like them and none of the other like, like the command or the people on staff, like they didn't think I tried. And that, that really hurt because this whole time I was trying, but I was trying, like I couldn't get to the point that they wanted me at. And that was really hard because I was trying, I was just sick. I was sick and I ended up dropping out of ROTC, not, you know, like a month or two into like break, not too long after that. And not too long after dropping ROTC, I found out I was sick. And um, it really explained a lot of things that were happening to me. I mean, like hypothyroidism, when you look into the, like the illness itself, like, I mean, it causes fatigue, it causes, you know, um, it causes mental health problems, hormonal problems. One of the things that was hormonal that was happening to me that was totally not normal was um, starting mid-January. And actually, I take it back. I ha it hasn't been a year since I was diagnosed with hypothyroidism. It's been a year since I've had my six month long quote unquote period, because in January, wow. it, was the, it was the end of January, I started this quote unquote period that didn't end until I was diagnosed with hypothyroidism. So I take it back. I was not diagnosed with hypothyroidism in January. I wasn't, I was diagnosed um, five or six months later. So like in May, mm -hmm. um, late May, early June. And the biggest catalyst for me trying to seek out like help wasn't what was happening to me my first semester at Riddle. It was when that period started. And I ended up, you know, seeking help from, you know, what is it? Um, not the emergency clinic, but urgent care. So like mm -hmm. people in urgent care, you know, I went to see an OBGYN and everybody told me it was either that I was too young to be unhealthy that it was my birth control that I was taking, taking, even though I was on, you know, this birth control for two years at that point. So there was no way it was birth control. You know, I had uh, an OBGYN tell me that she was going to screen me for endometriosis, but then turn around and lied to me about that. Because when I called them after she had told me I had been screened, come to find out she didn't screen me for endometriosis. She only screened me for, um, STDs and then just, I guess, doing my yearly physical, but like, you know, that was super rough at the time. I was, you know, 17, um, going on 18, um, dealing with all of this by the point or by the time it was January, you know, I had no idea what was going on with me. And it was just, it was like thing after thing after thing. And it just kept happening like rapid fire. Yeah. And, um, it really affected me and it, it really changed my relationship with like the medical field because for almost six months straight, I had people denying me. I had people telling me there was nothing wrong. You know, nobody wanted to see me. Nobody wanted me to come in for a follow-up, you know? And I just, yeah, it was, it was like my personal little hell. And um, it destroyed my relationship with my ex. Um, we ended up breaking up not too long after February. So at that point I still hadn't been diagnosed, I don't think. Um, but yeah, I mean, wow. it destroyed my relationship with him. It was destroying my relationship with flight and school. I, I had a really hard time flying here. I had a really hard time getting along with instructors. I had a really hard time with ROTC. Like I was having a hard time with everything. It was a nightmare. Wow. 
Wow. I cannot even imagine. And it seems to be like a reoccurring theme that people in particular women who are having these issues go to doctors and it's always, I mean, I've known this myself, I'll be having an issue. And the first thing they want to do is test you for STDs. It's like immediately full panel of STD testing. And it's like, <laughs> no, I've been with the same person. And I, I know, like, I know, and, and it doesn't matter how, like people always say, well, advocate for yourself. You know, at the end of the day, you're your best advocate that is so hard sometimes when you're dealing with a medical professional and like, then there's the whole aspect of being young. Like you said, you were 16, 17 at the time. That's an extremely vulnerable position for a young yeah. woman to be in. And I cannot even imagine and having to go from doctor to doctor because nobody is taking you seriously. It's just, it's extremely disappointing. And it seems to be like a literal pattern. Um, for women in, in, in the United States, when it comes to healthcare, any kind of healthcare. And I, I just, I can't imagine because anything that deals with your hormones, your hormones control everything. And yeah. I can't imagine what it's like, like you said, having the, your own personal hell, I can only imagine because it's like, you're, you're at war with your, with your own body and you have no clue why your body is attacking you like this. Yeah, and it was really scary. I remember, like, one of the things I was upset about, my ex had brought up, like, you know, in a conversation down the line, but, like, one of the things I was even, like, heartbreaking to him was, like, me, like, being, you know, like, crying and bawling my eyes out because, you know, I knew there was something wrong with me, but everybody was telling me there was nothing wrong with me, and we didn't know why, like, what was wrong. So, like, I knew there was something wrong, but what was it? And that was really hard, and it was even harder because, like, I... I had to go back to Georgia to see a pediatric OBGYN before I got the answer. So I had to drive five and a half hours, see that doctor, finally get my blood drawn, you know, and the, by whatever miracle, she actually tested me, my thyroid levels, because I didn't realize that it ran in my family. So when she had asked me, like, do you, does your family have a history of thyroid problems? I was like, oh no, we'll come to find out. Apparently it affects like all of my dad's side of the family. And by whatever miracle, she, you know, is just this amazing, you know, doctor. And she went ahead and tested me for absolutely everything. The only thing that came back was my thyroid levels were totally out of, out of range. And then from there, the endocrinologist was the next step. That was really tough. I had to drive like almost three hours from Warner Robins to um, almost like Augusta, Augusta, Georgia. It was like right around that area. Um just to see the endocrinologist. And now here in Florida, I have to drive to St. Augustine um, like more than once a year, like way more than once a year, just to get my medicine refilled, just to see the doctor, just to make sure that my levels are within range. Like it's crazy, like having to keep up and deal with all of this. And I know there's people who have it 10 times worse for me. And my heart definitely goes out to people like that. Um, but I know like with what I've dealt with, like if I, I just, I've been losing my mind. Um, no, definitely girl validate your struggle. Your struggle is valid. This sounds rough dude, but I'm glad that you were able to get the answers that you finally needed. But I mean, was there anyone that you relied on? Like during this time, you know, where was your mental state and what was it just you that you had for just support or did you have anyone else in your corner? So my biggest supporter was probably my ex at the time. Um, we, we went through a lot as a couple and um, yeah, the relationship did end up ending because of what I was going through and how it was affecting him. And that's the thing, like at this point in time, like I've, 
moved on and I understand that like how what's happening to me affects other people especially when he like was the only person really in my support group because like I had no one like it was hard for me to be social at Riddle it was hard for me to like go out and meet people it was so much easier for me to like for him to call me or for me to call him because I didn't have to leave my room you know like I didn't have to like you know physically like daunt myself having to walk across campus you know have coffee with somebody and I did it every now and then you know like I had people you know like where we would go to like you know like dorm parties we'd play like you know board games or you know like games on the computer or the tv you know I would go out to dinner with people but I didn't do it as much as I do now and you know with my current partner me and him like we function as a couple but then we also function as individuals so that's awesome. But I didn't have that with my ex and, you know, him being the only person who was in my support group, like that was really hard. It was hard for me and it was hard for him because at some point you just kind of get sick of one another. And we, it ended up falling apart because of that. And that was really tough because, um, you know, I did try to go to counseling a couple of times. I didn't like it. Um, at least when I was like really sick, I didn't like it. I didn't like who I was with, you know, I talked to the chaplain, um, at the university who I'm really good friends with now but like when again I was really sick I wanted nothing to do with him RCC forced me to talk to him because they knew there was something wrong with me and like they were like okay obviously this girl's going through something so one of their solutions was to have me talk to the chaplain of the university I talked to I talked to him once but then didn't want anything to do with him just because it was it was too much effort it was too much work and I was too sick to yeah. like move to just deal with any of it you know, it got to the point where I was too sick to sometimes even feed myself. One of the things like my ex would do to help me is he would end up having to like rub hub me food because I couldn't walk to the student union. And, um, it was just, yeah, it was just, it was a lot. It was a lot for me. It was a lot for him. Um, but I appreciate that while, you know, or at the time that he did help me because there, he was helping me in a lot of ways. And at that point in time, I had no one. Yeah. Yeah. And he was probably trying to help you in the best way that he knew how, because as you said, you didn't really know what was going on with you. And then when you don't know what's going on, you don't know the best way to serve yourself. And you're only like, I know that when I'm sick, I don't want to do anything either. Um, I just don't, there's no motivation for me to go out and meet people and, and, you know, get ready, which also makes you help, helps you feel better when you do get ready. So I totally understand that, but then it also is isolating. And so then that plays on your mental health. And it's just like this sick cycle that keeps going and going. And yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like one of the questions I had, because I know that it took you a while to get this diagnosis. And as Emma pointed out, you're young, you're a young woman. Um, so how did you advocate for yourself knowing like, like that one doctor who said they were going to run that study and they never ran the study? Like, how did you finally get that diagnosis? So with her, with that specific OBGYN, I was mad. And I remember, so when I actually had my appointment, like, you know, I was very like upfront, like, I get that this is like a yearly physical but I do like either like, you know, cause they were like, oh, like your insurance will cover the physical for today. But if she needs to do anything else because she suspects there's something going on, it's going to cost you extra. And I was like, oh, that's perfectly fine with me because like at this point I've been bleeding for like two and a half months, you know, go, you know, and you know, further down the line, it was going to be for even longer. But, you know, I was like, oh, that's completely fine with me. I just want to get this solved now. 
Um, well, she comes in, does the normal physical. The only other real thing that she does to me is she's like, okay, well, you're on the Zulane birth control, like patch. And she was like, well, maybe it's your birth control. And I was like, okay, well, it just seems a little weird. Cause it's not like spotting. Like I'm like having like a full on like period. Like this is not, you know, like minor spotting that's caused as a result of, um, maybe like hormonal changes due to birth control. And at that point I had been on this patch for, for two years. And I had the, the primary reason was due to medical related reasons. Cause I do have a heavier period, but you know, I told her, I was like, no, it's, it's not the patch. And I advocated for myself in regard to that because she was trying to like suggest to me, um, like, Oh, well you like, let's do an IUD. And you know, like at the time, again, I'm 18, you know, do my like advice for anybody would be do what is going to be best for you. Do I don't understand why OBGYNs always recommend an IUD like their immediate like fix all is just an IUD it's just because it's so effective honestly like my mom's a nurse so and also she made me get an IUD when I was 18 19 going off to college I think because it's so effective and they know that most I'm just gonna say it most people don't use condoms so that's why they're like well IUD yeah no exactly but like for me, and that's like, again, like, you know, go on record that like, I'm like 100% do whatever makes you happy, do whatever is going to make you most comfortable. Thing is, is like the patch was like the best option for me. And I knew this because I'd been using it for almost three years at that point. And she all of a sudden was like, oh, let's do an IUD. Let's, you know, like, um, let's like, let's try this. And I was like, no, you know, she hands me the pamphlet. I'm reading through the pamphlet. And it's like, oh yeah. In the event that you get pregnant, you know, you're going to lose your baby and you're, you're going to end up possibly causing harm to yourself and depending on the severity of the situation you can lose your own life and I was like okay well luckily with my little patch like that's not something I have to worry about um you did some good but, research because honestly I had no idea <laughs> well and that wasn't even research that I did that was literally the pamphlet she handed me so um, when I'm reading through that I'm like um you're literally like being upfront about like oh by the way like you can have an out like um it's like an outside of uter like the uterus like birth and I'm like yeah no like I don't want yeah one of the one of the side effects from the IUD that I got was um pelvic inflammatory disease which is a literal that's a sexually transmitted disease so explain to me how my IUD is going to give me that (laughs) a piece of plastic that's been in plastic Mm -hmm. packaging that's apparently like like sterile and you're, you're going to put that inside of me. And one of the possible side effects is that like, it's yeah, that's wild. It's so no, wild. Exactly. And they pushed so hard for it. And it's like, when I got mine, they pushed really hard for it. And I was, I got it in it. I mean, everyone told me that the whole process wasn't that painful. It was excruciatingly oh, painful it for is me. So painful. Um, and then I constantly, I had it in for six months and for the whole six months, I was in so much pain. I told my OBGYN, she didn't want to listen to me. She just kept saying, oh, well, that's the side effects. It'll go away. It'll go away. That's just cramping. Mm-hmm. Her Everyone's excuse was it's just cramping. And I'm like, um, having random sharp excruciating pain like that's like three to five seconds long in duration that feels like a hot knife stabbing me and my lord that's not a cramp a cramp is like a lingering feeling um this is not a cramp but it really took me like advocating for my my ass off for myself for them to get me serious and take me serious and have it removed 
No, exactly. And it's literally so sad. I mean, like that, that I, I goof on how many women that happens to. And, but yep, it, it happened to me. And that's, I told her, nope, she tried to put me in. I was like, girl, like the brand at the end of the day, that's just them making money. She put me on a different branded birth control patch, but like, I was like, whatever, like it's free. So like, I don't care. I'll take it. But like at the end of the day, it was the same product. And that was her solution yeah. to the problem because I didn't want an IUD. So instead of you know, examining me instead of, you know, like figuring it out or referring me to somebody else. She just basically kicked me to the curb and was like, okay, I'll just give you the, the twirla birth control patch or whatever. (laughs) And that totally solved my problems. No, it did. And I ended up going back to Georgia, like I said, to see the pediatric OBGYN. She also suspected it was endometriosis just because of my symptoms. And then also, um, uncontrollable uterine bleeding can be a byproduct of endometriosis depending on the severity or the type you have but um i did end up getting a ultrasound done um from the ultrasound they weren't conclusive like they didn't find anything so um as of right now i don't think i have it um because an ultrasound can be a pretty good uh again method of figuring out if you have it or not but um i really do think it was just the thyroid problems at the end of the day because the medicine has luckily helped me in many ways. Um, and that's been really awesome because it did at the end of the day, solve my uncontrollable uterine bleeding. And I no longer have, um, the period straight from hell. Um, yeah, yeah it's not a so bad, so bad. <laughs> I'm but, just um, glad you were able to advocate for yourself and figure it out because I know like with hospitals and stuff and going to the, just working with my mom, even in high school, I was a assistant for her. And a lot of times these doctors, like they have to meet numbers. They have to be patient quotas. And so yeah. they have 15 to 30 minutes. So their goal is to give you something. And as you age, like you realize, like I need a quick fix. Cause I got to go to work. So I feel like doctors are just heavily in that mindset. Like, Oh, you have a problem. I'm going to fix it right away. And here you go. Here's the medicine or here's the, here's the answer. And I too have oftentimes been misdiagnosed or given medication that was not right. I remember I was uh, playing basketball in college at Bellevue college and I had some pelvic pain and it was not normal. And I told my mom about it. She's like, you need to go to the doctor. So I went to the doctor and they just told me the reason I was having this pelvic pain was because I wasn't emptying my bladder all the way. So oh, they, gave, yeah, it was so weird. So they gave me this medication that they usually give to older people who are incontinent. And mm-hmm. I told my mom what they prescribed me. She's like, I have no idea why they would ever give you that. Do not take that because that's not the issue. And a couple of weeks later that, that pain kind of resolved itself but that's just typical of doctors. I feel like they do that often. And it's the reason I went and got myself a naturopath because they will sit with me for an hour and a half to talk about what's wrong with me. Like I can book a 90 minute appointment and talk about all the things that I think are wrong with me. And they're never going to turn me down and say, no, we're not going to test that. They'll, they're like, if you will want to pay for this test, we'll let you take the test. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. Yeah, no, exactly. It's like things like, you know, like consent in the medical field is super important, things like that. And I luckily with my pediatric doctor back home, and it's really sad because like I have yet to find a primary care doctor who like gives me the, um, not the attention, but the medical, like the medical attention that I need. Um, And same with the endocrinologist, like the one that I have in St. Augustine, I'm not a fan of at all. 
Um, you know, it's like you look at the Google reviews for the um, the facility and it's like, okay, well, every other week, it seems like he's on a three month long vacation. And then you have all these patients with, you know, thyroid problems, people who are diabetic, who have, you know, pancreas, like pancreas related problems, who can't get medicine or can't get a hold of their doctor or will even show up for an appointment just to be told, oh, by the way, he's not here. And it's crazy how like just normalized that is, it seems. But then it's like, I think of my pediatric doctor, I think about my endocrinologist back in Georgia. And like, these were people who I would drive and I could sit in their office for like two hours and talk to them or I can text them and be like, hey, like this is my current thyroid, you know, like a uh, level, like what is, how does this look? And they're like, oh, it looks great. I didn't have to pay for it. You know, like these are people who, you know, genuinely care about their practice and genuinely care about their patients. But it seems like that's not really standard across the board. Um, and especially in specialized like fields, so like things like endocrinology, you know, um, or even things like endodontics, like people who go to the doctor for a specialized reason and who end up leaving being like, I, I literally don't know what's, what's wrong with me because this doctor just doesn't care about their practice or at least about the patients. And it's sad to see how often that seems to happen. Yeah. So once you find a good doctor, you just got to hang on to them. Yeah, exactly. For real. It, I had a really good OBGYN and I ended up having to switch doctors because my insurance changed. Heartbreaking moment. Heartbreaking moment. <laughs> yeah, that's what but, happened to me. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. Oh, no, no, no. You're fine. At, but what were you, what were you saying? I was going to say that happened to me with my dentist because I have a um, terrible dental anxiety. I ended up having to switch for my dentist um, in Georgia because of insurance related reasons. And when I came to Florida, I had like the scariest experience with a dentist and I no longer see this dentist, but like I went in, they like messed up fillings that they had to do on me. And they told me that they were going to fill three fillings. I came in for my appointment. All of a sudden they bumped the number up to five and then I left with two. And that was another example of me advocating for myself because I refused to let them fill the stuff that they said that they needed to fill, but they hadn't told me about prior. And this new dentist has been like, yeah, no, she was like, it's staining. Um, that can turn into cavities, but they're not cavities. So she was like, good for you for standing up for yourself. But I have saving so that money. many stories about dentists because I used to be a dental assistant and I've worked mm -hmm. for quite a few, but I have the same, I have the same issue. Like I'm from, I live in Western Washington, but my dentist is in Eastern Washington, five hours uh -huh. away. So the dentist I work for was like, you have a cavity um, on your back molar. And I was like, that's weird because my dentist in Chilean, where I'm from has never like diagnosed me with a cavity before. And yeah. like, maybe it's just me aging. So I went back to my dentist in Chilean to get a second opinion. Cause I was like, I don't believe this guy, even though I work for him. <laughs> and, um, my dentist in Chilean was like, there's nothing wrong. And I'm like this dude, now I don't even trust him. And I work for him. And I was like, this man is not doing the right thing. So good on you because there are a lot of sketchy dentists guys. I will say yes. that from working for mm -hmm. them. So also when you find a good dentist, stick with them. Stick yeah. with them. Yeah. I feel like that's like the, the most common one is for some reason, dentists seem to be like, they, they love to rack up the bill, man, for mm -hmm. absolutely no reason. Woo. Yeah. Same thing happened. Like I went to, we, we switched dentists, go to this new dentist, this new dentist is like, yeah, you've got like five cavities and like a root canal and like this, that, and the other, he's like freaking oh, me out. My mom's like, Oh my God, hell no. This is, this cannot be happening. We go back to our other dentist and the other dentist is like, what are you, what, 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 huh? What? I'm, I'm confused. Yep. I don't, 
I don't see anything. You've never had a cavity. You do not have cavities. And I don't know what they're talking about, a root canal, but okay, never go back there ever again. Um, I love the dentist that was telling you you need a root canal, not the endodontics. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Well, no, I guess they could tell you you need a root canal, but they would refer you to an endodontics before they could confirm that because they're not going to be the one doing the procedure at the end of the day. I have no clue even what a root canal is. Like... They take out your your pulp in your tooth. Yeah. So literally they just take out the pulp, Emma. So they drill into your tooth, take out the pulp, then your tooth is dead. And then they fill it with the filler (laughs) and then cap it. So your your tooth is not alive anymore, which is what I had to do for my front teeth when I jumped off my roof onto a trampoline. So yeah, it ain't fun. Tease freaked me out. So, so moving on, uh, like as we steer out of the doctor talk, doc talk, um, if there was advice that you were going to give another aviation student who may be dealing with like a health struggle, what would it be? It would be like, find, find a support group. Biggest thing is like having a support group, figure out who the people in your support group are. Cause I guarantee if you have people in your life, you already have a support group, whether you're aware of it or not. Um, these people can consist of family members. They can consist of friends. They can consist of professors, doctors, you know, people you go to Bible study with, et cetera, et cetera. Find people in your life who are a part of your support group, identify those people and begin to like reach out to them. And depending on the problem, um, seek out professional help or professional opinion and sometimes again that professional opinion can come from people like family members or um you know maybe people in like a medical field that you may or may not know um but you know do that figure out who you have in your support group because you know in the event that anything does go downhill you have these people who you can reach out to and make sure you know that you're well taken care of um, aside from that, figure out what's going on, you know, if that's self-care that you need to spend with yourself, you know, spend an hour, you know, sitting with yourself, maybe doing some like research, depending on, um, again, what's going on. Um, it's very much like a case by case thing, but again, support group, figuring out what you may be dealing with and then going from there. Um, again, see about getting a secondhand opinion. I know for like kids, um, who are in university right now, you know, I, I, can't think of a university that doesn't have a counseling center or a health service center, go talk to the counseling center, go talk to the health service center. You know, if it's a physical related problem, go talk to health services. If it's, you know, mental, mentally related, go talk to um, the counseling center because they're also going to be really good about forming, formulating like a professional opinion about how you might need to go about whatever's wrong, you know? And sometimes, you know, it's like, just stress translates into really weird ways. So there might not even be anything wrong at the end of the day. You know, you just sometimes might need that reassuring secondhand opinion. So people like that are there, they're put there to help you pay your tuition and whatnot, you know, to be at a university where you have access to these resources. So my biggest word of advice is to utilize them. Um, But aside from that, you know, as long as you're doing stuff like that. Um, I would also recommend taking time to yourself. Like it is so important that um, like people make sure that they are, you know, providing themselves with, you know, self-care. If that's playing video games, play video games. If that's going on a hike, go on a hike, you know, and you can do this with friends. You can do these things by yourself. Like I'm huge about solo adventuring. You know, I don't, I'm not a big fan about, you know, or uh, of taking trips with other people. So like 
I need time to myself or I need to make sure that my mental health is well taken care of, like I'll go shopping by myself or maybe I'll drive like, you know, to Orlando and hang out in like downtown Disney, you know, cause I don't have to pay for it, but it's nice because it's like, I get to spend time with myself out yeah. and exploring and whatnot. Um, and the that. other thing, mm-hmm. the other thing is taking breaks. I know, um, again, like we've been talking, like sometimes it can be really disregarding to, um, be an aviation major, to be somebody in the aviation related or aviation field, or to be somebody in like the aviation career, but it's like, you're allowed to take breaks and don't let that discourage you because at the end of the day, you're just going to pick up right wherever you left off. And I'm, you know, I'm talking from experience. So I, I, that happened to me firsthand and it's something you can recover from. Maybe at first there's a couple of bumps in the road, but at the end of the day, that break does nothing but benefit you. If anything, one of the reasons when I do look back on my medical grounding that I am grateful is because for nine months, yes, I was grounded and yes, I didn't have the opportunity to go through flight training, but I had the opportunity to take a break. And during that break process, I was able to join more clubs. I was able to focus on my academics, you know, I was able to go home more, things like that. Like you, you benefit from taking breaks. Um, if you, if you overwork your body, you're going to end up hurting yourself at the end of the day. And you're going to, you're going to really gain nothing from that. So my, my biggest word of advice is just make sure you have a support group, get professional opinions if you need it. But again, that can be case by case. So don't overstress yourself with that. And um, make sure you're taking break breaks and you're, you're, you're giving yourself time, you know, to just have self-care sessions with yourself, maybe with others, but um, put your, put yourself first and put your, your health, whether mental, physical, you know, whatnot, like put it, put it first at the end of the day, because you are what, what matters. That's some solid advice. I (laughs) I think I can learn from you a little bit because Em and I were just talking about this the other day where we are really someone who needs to be around people because we get lonely or we have the TV on in the background. So it doesn't feel like we're alone. And I often have to take trips with other people because Jesse isn't around me and Jesse almost do everything together. My husband and we travel together all the time. But when he's in training, I just made a trip with Emma um, in a couple of weeks. We're going to go to Salt Lake City. But I, I'm someone who really craves a social aspect. So I need someone like for me, if I'm by myself, I feel like that makes me more lonely. And yeah. it's not, not that I'm not okay with being by myself because I'm often by myself. I'm by myself today. Uh, but I think it's just that I need more social interaction. Um, and I know that about myself. So I, I guess it's kind of just questioning, like, do I need more um, solitude or do I need more time with people? Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. I, I, I like what you said also about like being okay with taking a break. I think in aviation, especially like when you're a student pilot, there for some reason like there's this con- like this preconceived conception that like once you open up the door you cannot close it until you're done um which breeds a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress um having like an overwhelming feeling that you're not allowed to take breaks that breaks aren't normalized so definitely it is okay to take a break if you need to take a month off in flight training do it like it's your money you're in control of your destiny and just because you might think somebody else's destiny looks great and looks good that might not be what's best for you you got to do what's best for you and if taking a break is that do it yeah no 100 and you know 
keep things around your room. Like for me, I like to keep things like um, that I can put together. So if it's like, you know, a Lego airplane that I, I just keep it in a box, you know, for the day that I need it, you know, like if some, if I'm really stressed and I just need a break, you know, I just have stuff like that. Things like, you know, like uh, they're not color by number, it's sticker by number, but like little things like that, self-care items, you know, some people like face masks, some people again, like to travel, you know, whatever it is, you know, stay in tune with yourself. My one friend like brings a coloring book with her wherever she goes and she like will just bring it out at any point in time and just start coloring. Like, all right, whatever, whatever works for you. Yep. Whatever exactly. floats your boat. <laughs> yeah. And she's like 32. So <laughs> it's not weird. <laughs> so um, with that, Courtney, what do you think are kind of the biggest pressures about being an aviation student at one of the biggest aviation schools? In my opinion, my honest opinion, it is perfectionism. Like being at Riddle, like you are, it almost, whether it's actually expected of, of us or not, we, we all, I feel like can agree that like perfectionism is probably the biggest stressor um, for being like at a school like Riddle. Um, don't get me wrong, love my university, wouldn't trade anything in the world to not like, like you to not be here, you know, but it's perfectionism and it's the feeling that you can never make mistakes or ask for help. You know, like we seem to pride ourselves in, you know, like resource management. So like, you know, you have all these people in the flight department that you can talk to, go talk to them. But the moment you go talk to them, all of a sudden you're getting in trouble because you're stepping out of line or you didn't know better. Or you didn't know from the beginning. And it makes it really hard because then it, it creates this culture where people don't ask for help, where people don't feel like they can make mistakes. You know, there's no, it almost feels like there's no room for failure. And that's really hard in aviation because, you know, like how, how is there no room for failure? You're, you're learning, keyword here, learning how to fly. At the end of the day, you shouldn't be an unsafe pilot. And nobody's saying that making mistakes leads to you being an unsafe pilot. But I mean, like the whole point of us having like things like the Sim Center is so kids have the opportunity to make mistakes. So when you take that away from them, I would argue that you're making you're making room for more unsafe pilots than you are safe pilots. And you're yeah. also creating a culture in which your students are scared of, you know, making mistakes and, and, and learning from that. I mean, I, I've had instructors tell me that for, for a flight lesson, like when you show up, they, you, you are expected to know everything. If you don't know everything, you're going to get knocked for it. But to me, that doesn't make sense because then what's the point of, of the flight lesson? If at the end of the day, you should have known from the beginning, yeah. you know, I would have saved myself, you know, the 14 grand that I've, I've spent in flight training while here. If, if, you know, like if I knew that I was already the, you know, an instrument rated pilot, I didn't realize I was already an instrument rated pilot, you know, yeah. but I'm not. That's the thing. At the end of the day, I'm not going to know everything. Yeah. So I do like my new instructor because he he doesn't make me feel like I need to know everything and he lets me take my time. But, you know, that's that doesn't reflect how most people feel, um, at least people who are of authority at the university. It seems like it's just more like you have to be perfect at what you do. And if you're not perfect and you're not up to standard. And I mean, like, you need to be up to standard, but I'm talking like up to standard, like in a unrealistic, like, like godlike way. Like it gets really scary sometimes. Um, they throw that around a lot. It gets I think really it, scary. I think it definitely goes back to a sense of like, um, 
something that has just carried down through the generations systematically of like, oh, well, I did it the hard way. So that means you have to like, everyone's heard the child of the magenta line children to children of the magenta line and like how old heads get upset because oh we have ipads now so we're able to use Mm -hmm. ipads and they're pissed off because you don't have to fuck around with a vor and all these old (laughs) systems that barely work worth a damn and then you're looking at them like well there's a reason that like general aviation used to be so unsafe when you were a pilot because nothing was really as safe as it is now so i don't know why it bothers like the older generation that we're able to have things now so that we at the end of the day can be a better pilot that's always confused me and what you were talking about with learning i think i say this all the time um i've i grew up skiing i love skiing but when i've taught people how to ski i've always told them if you don't fall down a few times you're not you're not trying like you have to fall down and get back up in order to learn. If you aren't falling, you're not learning. And I really think that definitely applies to aviation. There are times when you're going to win some, you're going to lose some. Those moments when you lose some, that's when you learn. Those are really, yep. really important moments that you have to have. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that you talked about that. We talk about that a lot. Seems to be another reoccurring theme, per- perfectionism. We talked about that a lot. And like one of the things my dad used to say, my family used to say is the P and pilot will never stand for imperfection. Um, and I think that encapsulates what you were saying. Like there is definitely a stigma that you have to be perfect all the time. And, and we yep. just know that is not humanly possible. Nope, exactly. 100%. And those so, like, mistakes just really do make you that much better. Like you learn so much more when you are put into a circumstance that you aren't perfect at. And, yeah. and that helps your arsenal of tools for when you do get in a rough spot and when you are by yourself and you don't yeah. have anyone around. And I think oh, that's very 100%. important. Yeah. So my next question, and I'm just going to give a little trigger warning because the next question is going to be a little bit more serious, but um. I know recently at Embry-Riddle, there was a student that was planning on carrying out a mass shooting. Um, I wanted to ask you, you know, what has your personal, what was your personal experience that day? And, and I can imagine you're still carrying that with you. It's probably something that you think about often, or am I wrong? No, it's definitely, it's something I definitely think about. Um, every now and then still, um, I would argue would be a lot different if he actually was able to go through with it. But I know like that day, I want to say I only became aware of it when I had, it's like, I, I slept in, you know, it was like, I was getting up around 11, you know, almost, almost noon. And I was going to the aviation learning center so I could practice some things for flight training. And, um, I'm like going through Snapchat and all of a sudden I start seeing people on like people's stories, like, you know, like the, the, you know, early on news reports of like what had happened all of a sudden it's like, oh, wow, this like kid had just been, you know, like detained from his, his like household, his apartment, um, with all these, these, these guns and like ammo and stuff. And that was like kind of scary because, you know, the first thing I think I, I really thought about was the fact that like. I think in our heads, unless it's happened to you, you have this mentality that like stuff only like stuff like that only ever happens on television and it never actually could or will happen to you. But the thing is, is like that morning, you know, God forbid he wasn't arrested. 
it very well was going to happen and could have happened again if he hadn't been arrested. And that gets like gets really eerie because um, I really do appreciate the two students who did reach out to campus safety and then campus safety reaching out to the Daytona Beach Police Department about the situation because like, again, like that really could have happened and it could have happened at a university where there's so little of us that everybody knows everybody. I mean, like yeah. we are a very tiny university and I came from a relatively small university. And when I came to Riddle, it was like crazy because of how much smaller it is. But that's the thing. I mean, like everybody knows everybody and it's crazy because you think you all get along, you know, everybody, you know, like maybe you have a few snafus here and there, but nobody would ever do that. Right. But, yeah. you know, here's the living proof that somebody was planning on doing that. And it's just, it's scary because, you know, that's just, that's the state of, you know, the American school system right now. And it's sad to see how often that seemingly is happening. Yeah. Yeah. It seemed like, just like when we saw that and then I, cause we sent it to each other. I was just like, I would have never imagined that to happen at Embry, like this aviation school that's well-renowned young kid like I just didn't think that could happen but then that's what everyone thinks when a school shooting happens like oh I didn't think it could happen to me yeah Uh, and even though he didn't carry it out it still like kind of sits with me like whoa what are the state of things for an aviation student to come to this point yeah no it's it's crazy and I personally just I have no idea myself but you know it does say a lot about mental health and it's just, again, how important like discussions and conversations about mental health are, you know, just because stuff like this is happening and, yeah. you know, it needs to be talked about. It shouldn't be shoved under a rug, you know, or, or in the back of a closet because at the end of the day, it's important and it's getting to the point where people's lives are, their, people's lives are on the line. Yeah, like, that's important. important. Whether it's one person or a room of 2000, like, those are human lives that you're dealing with. And it is important if it's, if you're dealing with life or death, you know, situations, it is important. And it's, it's happening inside and outside of aviation. It's happening at universities. It's happening at high schools. You know, it's, it's, it's a problem and it's something that needs to be talked about. And, you know, something has to change at the end of the day. So what were like the actions that you decided to take after this whole situation happened at Embry? So I was pretty upfront. Um, I do like if there's anything like um, of, I don't want to say of interest, but anything that could be of interest to other people or could be beneficial in regard to like information and just being aware of what like is going on. I do make sure to like be upfront and like have things at least on my Instagram, like posted to my story. So like, you know, at least with that situation, like I had like on my story, like um, the Daytona Beach, uh, sheriff him speaking about the situation what had happened what they had recovered things like that so again people are aware um from there I also just make sure this is stuff I had been doing prior to the situation but definitely making sure that I continue to do after was um making sure that people like know their resources so at the at, at this point in time most of it is being posted to my story but I do know that I am in the middle of putting together a like resource group um at here at Riddle with the chaplain of the university and it's meant for it's it's meant to be like a mental health resource group for aviation students um at Riddle and it would be for students whether you're flying on or off campus it's just for aviation students of any and all kinds to 
have a resource group for mental and even physical health. And I've been talking to a lot more people about it. There's a couple of people in my Bible study that I talk to about it. And I even am thinking about incorporating physical health into this like resource group and even almost like a support group because your physical health goes hand in hand with your mental health and your mental health goes hand in hand with your physical health. And people need to be aware of um, like what's happening. I know um, something I talked about with one of the girls from Bible study is the fact that like when you attend a university like Riddle or honestly anywhere, any university, any sort of flight school, Nobody sits down with you and tells you, you know, like the, what's disqualifying, you know, like I think the most I ever hear of is like what medicines you can't take, what man- medicines you can't take, you know, like what you would learn in like your flight physiology class, but they don't talk about mental health. They don't talk about pilot nutrition. They don't talk about how to take care of your body, how to take care of your mind. Nobody tells you, it seems like they hide it at like the end of a syllabus, but like nobody tells you that you can go to the counseling center. Nobody tells you that there's really a food pantry on campus. Nobody tells you that, you know, you can go to health services to get STD testing for free, things like that. Like nobody's aware, especially it seems like aviators. And if anything, they're not aware to the point in which they are comfortable. So when it is talked about, it's not talked about in a manner that makes pilots feel safe and pilots need a safe space because if they don't have that safe space, they can feel like they're putting their entire career on the line when that might not even be happening, you know, but that's why it's important to talk about it. So this is why me and the chaplain are trying to put together this little group, this little organization. Um, I've talked to the counseling center and while we like, you know, like smooth out bumps, um, we're, going to keep them posted because we want to get them involved. And there's a couple of different professors. There's people that I'm going to be talking to and our veteran, um, our VA um, department on campus, um, different folks. I actually am going to try and speak to a lady next week who is working on um, a research study about mental health and aviation here at Riddle. Um, I know the chaplain plans on reaching out to different faculty who would be really like on board or really good to talk to about something like this, but we're, we're trying to find people and we're trying to like, again, smooth out the bumps and figure out exactly what we want to do. But the biggest thing I want to do is help people and have people be aware of what they have, you know, because there are things, even in a system that seemingly works against you, there are a lot of things that are put in place, especially at Riddle to help you. Yeah, I think it's important that you point out all of those resources too, because it seems like you guys are so cued into everything you need for flying. But then when it comes to the resources that you do need outside of flying, it's like a gray zone and and nobody knows anything about it. So thank you for doing that work because uh, I really love that you said physical health is mental health because I am a personal trainer and it has been such a huge thing for me to be able to get a sweat on to work out in any way possible. Like you don't have to have this like massive resistance training, go lift weights. You can even just go out on a walk, but, but that is exercise. And I hope people realize that, that when you do exercise and move your body, it does have a major impact on your mental health. Oh yeah. 100%. So Courtney, with these resources, students still kind of continue to have a little bit of aversion to seeking healthcare, just based off of the stigma that the FA has. And you also mentioned that 
part of the reason why students aren't getting help is because they just don't even know these resources exist. But can you let our audience know why these resources are different um, than being confidential, no record? Why, why should student pilots reach out to these resources? So one of the biggest things, and this is for the, this is for Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University, but I can only assume that it's the same for most universities. Um, and this came directly from the office of the Dean um, for the College of Aviation. And this was an email they had sent out about a month or two ago. Um, but for anybody who's listening, especially those at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University, the biggest reason that you're allowed to seek out things like counseling on campus is because according to this email, when renewing a medical certificate, in fact, pilots only need to report visits to counselors if the visit was related to a personal substance abuse or diagnosed psychiatric condition. So if you need to go to couples counseling on campus, you're allowed to go to couples counseling on campus. If you need to go to counseling because, you know, maybe somebody, um, you know, in your family is, is dealing with like, you know, with, with health related, you know, issues or problems, like you're allowed to go to counseling on campus for these reasons. What they're looking for is for people who are gonna be a harm to either themselves or to others. You know, so you, you are allowed to seek out counseling because your, your counseling on campus is confidential. They're not gonna tell the FAA. They're not gonna tell, you know, the flight department because as long as you're not a physical, you know, threat to again, yourself or anyone else, you're allowed to seek out help. You're allowed to ask for help. And, you know, there's, there's resources outside of counseling. You're allowed to speak to the, to the chaplain of the university. He, um, in, in the Center of Faith and Spirituality, both chaplains um, are, are put here to, to, for students to, you know, have a resource for somebody, you know, to, so they have somebody to talk to. I know, like, when I was in ROTC, um, a big thing that, you know, they would always communicate to us is, like, you're allowed to talk to the chaplain, you know, go talk to the chaplain. So, you, you know, like, ROTC cadets are having to deal with, like, the fear of maybe the military wanting to disqualify them for, again, medical or mental health related reasons. But again, you know, they, they're, you know, very, very upfront about you having the ability to see the chaplain because that's a resource you're allowed to utilize and you don't have to worry about any sort of repercussion as a result of utilizing that resource. You're allowed to go to the health, you know, the health center. You're allowed to seek out services from them. You know, don't don't hold back on getting getting the help that you need out of fear because there's plenty of resources. Again, your resources include um, the Title IX office. Your resources include health services, the counseling center, the Center of Faith and Spirituality. There's plenty of different um, like programs online, especially programs designed for aviators that will walk you through mental health, you know, related um, topics and ideas, and they'll help you if you're going through anything. People online who are registered like um, psychiatrists, but who are specialized in, in aviation related mental health, who again are there to help you. You know, there's, there's just, there's plenty of different resources that I definitely think that um, you could be utilizing and you don't have to worry about confidentiality because nine times out of 10, that's put in place to protect you as the client. I think that's important to note too, is like these resources are there for you so that your problem or issue or struggle doesn't escalate to something bigger. So you really utilizing those resources um, quickly. So you're not waiting and waiting and waiting until something becomes way bigger than it had to be is important too. 
Oh yeah, 100%. And that's the thing, like, I feel like, again, this was something I was talking to, um, with some folks at Bible study, but basically like when you're, when you're dealing with mental or physical health related, um, problems, like if you wait, you are only going to further, like, um, not only delay the problem, but escalate the problem. If it needs to be addressed, it needs to be addressed and it needs to be done so in a timely manner or else again, it would, it's going to further develop the problem. Yeah. And if you, if I come back to the dental analogy, like if you have a cavity and you don't get it filled, then you have to, then it will bomb your tooth out. Then you'll have to get a root canal and then your tooth is dead. And then you have to get a crown on top of the tooth because your tooth is literally just like, it will disintegrate if you don't. So it's just important to like cut it at the time that you know something is wrong, you should just go and get the help that you need instead of really just getting anxious about all the things that may happen. Knowing that these are confidential services should should be the light in, in your butt to go and go and get help. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And I think it's super helpful because I know um, a lot of our listenership is like seems to be flight school based. So I know we have a few Embry-Riddle students listening. So thank you for answering that because I know it will be helpful for our audience to hear. Yeah, no, of course, especially yeah, for anybody here at Riddle who may be listening. Um, there are, again, plenty of resources put into place for college age students and for flight students on campus, um, again, for us to utilize. So with that, Court, um, one of like my more serious questions, like if you could wave a magic wand and change the aeromedical standards set by the FAA, what would you change and why would you change it? Um, honestly, um, changing the standards for mental and physical health, um, especially the kind of standards that seem to adversely affect those who um, could be flying and, and, and in my opinion should be flying. Um, you know, I've met, I've met plenty of people with, you know, like autism, anxiety, OCD, who either are pilots or in my opinion should be pilots because let's say like, you know, they've gone through flight training but then can't get their private pilot license or whatever because, you know, again, because of their medical certificate. And it makes me really sad because there's all these people who could be flying but can't because you're not giving them the opportunity to. And, you know, it really bothers me, especially when you're going through a pilot pilot's shortage that yeah. you're not if not helping yourself you're only hurting yourself by by having outdated standards still in play here in 2022 that's completely preventing you from fixing your pilot shortage problem you know Mm -hmm. again because of outdated standards and it's just it's heartbreaking to see all these people who are very much like qualified to be pilots and to build a career in aviation just completely get kicked to the curb and not only that, but it's also really disheartening to see people who have been in aviation their entire lives lose everything because of one rule, you know, pertaining to physical or mental health. Like you're seriously going to kick somebody, somebody like that to the curb because they, 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 they sought out the help that they need, you know, yeah, to just, get better, <laughs> yeah, yeah no, to be safe, yeah. to be a safer pilot. Yeah. It, yeah. It's beyond. And it, like what you were saying, these people that just have such like the big one right now that Maddie and I have been talking about is ADHD. The amount of pilots that are denied over ADHD when ADHD is one of the most common diagnosed, like mental disorders in this country. And I'm yes. like, okay. 
okay. Or just things like general generalized anxiety. I don't understand why the SI process, even if you're just diagnosed with general anxiety and you aren't on the SSRI pathway, why it takes so long. You know what I mean? It, there, there's no reason why you need all like multiple different tests over multiple different periods of time to prove that you're a worthwhile pilot when say you've held your pilot's license for four, five, six, say 10 years. You know what I mean? Everyone's process and the pathway looks a little bit different for them, but it is really interesting to see, especially when people have obtained things like a first-class medical to have it taken away down the line over really, really simple things or things that aren't even right now, like in their near future, things that happened to them when they were a kid. Um, So yeah, it's, wow. I, we could talk about that one all night long. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we certainly could, because I definitely have a handful of opinions about how the FAA handles things, and actually, honestly, their lack of handling things, and, you know, it's, it's, you're literally at that point, you're, you are creating a system where you are, you, you're killing the people involved firsthand in your community, and it's like, is it worth it at the end of the day? You know, people are like losing their lives. People are getting sicker and sicker and sicker because they can't seek out help because they're scared to seek out help because they know you're going to do something to them. And it's, 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 you know, it's career threatening, it's life threatening, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just sad. It's disheartening. Yeah. Yeah. And it's important that you put that out, that people are losing their life over this. I mean, my uncle lost his life over this. My dad lost his life over this. John Halser just lost his life over this. And for the FAA to sit there and say, oh, we don't have a problem. Our our pass rate is, is really good. Look at the numbers. Look at the pieces of paper. For them to sit back and completely turn their cheek and look the other direction when they know they're directly to blame for this is so unjust and so insensitive to the just everything right now in the current climate with what we are going through as a society it's just but let's end on a little bit of a brighter note what (laughs) I'm like, so anyways, after talking all this shit, um, what are your future goals and dreams after graduate, graduating from Embry? So I, um, off on the side, want to get my aerobatics certification, um, one Amen. day, hopefully in the like near future, I don't want to get it 20 years from now. I would like to get it five years from now, but, um, definitely aerobatics, um, but like long-term goals. Um, I want to get my CFI. I plan on doing it outside of Riddle. want to teach flight training. Most likely will like end up like a couple of states that I'm looking at is like Florida, Georgia, Tennessee, like that triangle of states. Um, and I want to apply for Delta's aviate program and, um, hopefully get into that or something similar. Cause, um, but Delta is my dream company. They're willing to fly for in a do uh, domestic travel with them. Um, but yeah, no. Um, and then maybe down the line, I really like the idea of retiring and opening a flight school or a small business. I want to become like a business owner before I die. So mm-hmm. my long term goal is um, business, whether it's um, starting my own academy or flight school or um, artisan business, something. That's awesome. Have you ever heard of, um, have you ever heard of Patty, Patty Wagstaff? Does that name ring a bell? 
it does. It does actually. So if you're interested in aerobatics, one of, I, I worked with a woman, um, who actually went down to Florida and got her aerobatic training through this woman named Patty. And I'm, I'm just looking at her Instagram now. I didn't realize she had such a large following, but I've been, I've been recommended her by multiple people. Cause that's a goal of mine. I want to get my aerobatic. I want to get my seaplane tail dragger, everything, you know, everything that doesn't benefit you professionally, (laughs) (laughs) all the, all the money sucking stuff, but yeah, no, you should definitely reach out to her because, um, she seems like an incredible resource for that kind of stuff. And you should definitely go do it. I, I am such an advocate for people going and getting those types of ratings and endorsements because, you have to do that for yourself. I understand that it is such a career motivated, um, hobby and industry, but at the same time, you do have to be able to like, allow yourself to do the things that are fun, that are goals for you just personally. So definitely get after it, girl. Yeah, I know. I definitely will try. Definitely. Once I have the money, that's the only thing that sucks is like, I can barely afford to pay through university flight training. So this is like a somewhat like a mid long term goal, a medium term goal. Yeah, I love it. You have awesome goals and super inspiring. And I'm excited to watch you like go down this path and complete all your your goals that you have. I appreciate it. Thank you. I'm hoping, uh, I'm hoping to get places in life. You know, if not, if well, not, you, um, will. you will, I appreciate I it by your like motivation and, and just like speaking about it, you can feel it, the passion that you have. I know that you'll mm-hmm. be able to accomplish these things. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, me and Emma want to say thank you for coming on, but we're going to get into some fun questions before we go. Um, and these actually, you guys, I was like, so stumped. Usually I come up with the fun questions for the show. And, um, I actually went online and I was like, I want to see what fun questions I can find online. So if you're like, Hmm, where'd you get these? Totally got them online. (laughs) Uh, So the first one, actually the first one's mine (laughs) in high school. What was your friend group? And did you hang out with the drama kids, jocks, or like, were you a loner? Were you a band geek? Like what kind of person were you? I was a mixed group person so I hung out with everyone I um especially like my last few years of high school I was in university so 90% of the time I wasn't even on campus oh like you did like a running start kind of program yeah so in Georgia we have um, a program called dual enrollment and I applied to middle Georgia State University I got accepted and I um, was an engineering major for like almost two years with them. And then I switched over to aviation my last semester. But okay. yeah, so I wasn't on campus very often. And the people I did hang out with, I mean, we were like nerds, but it was like some people were in bands, some people were in sports, they could like soccer and stuff. But it was like, I guess the, I don't know, like I played D&D a lot with um folks growing up, but it was never like nerdy kids. It was a mix of everything. I like that. I kind of was the same like well I grew up as an athlete so obviously I hung out with a lot of jocks but um I also was a party girl so it was like whoever wants to party with me I will hang out with you (laughs) (laughs) and so I literally would hang out with anyone they're like yeah you want to drink and I know this is terrible but like I was a bad kid in high school so yeah I hung out with everyone I was in school so <laughs> but you had friends I know you had friends but yeah I I did but at the same at the same time I'm not even gonna lie I was always the biggest loner like 
I really kept to myself and I had like a small group of friends. Um, but I've always, it's funny because like, I hate being alone yet. I'm kind of always alone. Um, but I mean, throughout high school, I was just, I was pretty much at the farm, at the barn every single day. I I say I was hanging out with horses and myself, which is, just kind of embarrassing to admit, but I did have friends and like, you know, occasionally when I could get permission or when I'd sneak out, I'd go to a party and, you know, I had my friends that I hung out with, but I was definitely a loner. Like my favorite thing to do was seriously just be by myself in my room, listening to old records. Like when I was younger, I was much more okay with being alone. Um, which is something I admire about my younger self, but (laughs) Now that I'm older, I'm like, I'm 22 and I can drink legally. Now I'm like, I want to go out. I want to have fun. Let's go party. Yeah. I feel that like I'm a mix because like I'm an ambivert. I'm more like extroverted, but I definitely have a lot of introvert in me. So like I value my alone time, but I also really need to be around people. So like, it's always a mix. It just honestly depends on how I feel. Cause like, I'll go out and like, I'll like go out to a party one weekend. And then the next weekend I'm like, no, like I just want to like lay in bed and like play on my switch. Like I don't, I don't mm-hmm. want to talk to people. So I, feel I, that. I fluctuate. I'm the same. Like I have those moments too, where I'm like, do I, I feel like going out and I want to go have fun and I want to see all these people. I want to meet new people. But then yes, like the next weekend I'm like, I don't want to go out. Never, I, no and I got more. my switch too. So yes. Ooh, <laughs> I love my switch. Just I love it. Pokemon too. game. So Oh, I was, I always kick my, uh, my husband's ass on Mario tennis. So he's every yeah. weekend. He's like, I need to play. I need to beat you. <laughs> You're not going to beat me. I, I love that. way too much. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't have any Mario games, just Pokemon and Animal Crossing and like Legend of Zelda. I used I to play a ton of Mario. I was a big Pokemon girl. Like when I was little, I had like the Game Boy and then the DS and I played pokemon and the pets you know pets with a z Um, and then horses with a z horses with a z was life okay like oh you're talking about something different i thought you were talking about nintendogs for a second i had that too i know what you're i know what that is but no these were like I don't know. I think these were like kind of a spinoff of Animal Crossing and like those kind of games, but it was like, uh, it, it would be like pets, but instead of an S, it was a Z. Horses uh-huh. instead of an S, a Z. But you would basically, you could like buy different barns or like buy different horses and then buy all the stuff for them. But then you had to like compete and uh-huh. win and get more money. So yeah, I was full on addicted. Full on addicted. <laughs> I love that. It's hilarious. But okay, so what is the funniest joke you know by heart? This one was hard for me. I literally don't have like I, I, the only one. This is like when everybody's like, "Oh, tell a joke," and it's like a terrible joke. But I always think about the one Teen Titans Go episode where Robin is like talking to like the rest of like the Teen Titans, and he and this is like the new Teen Titans, so like it's all like just terrible, corny like dad jokes. But like the one that always sticks with me that's just like my go-to is like, what do you call a cow with no legs? Uh, I don't know. What do you call it? <laughs> He's like, I don't know. Ground beef. Yeah. Oh, okay. See, that's pretty good. That's good. I so that's love my go-to. Like, jokes like that, like dumb jokes. They're my favorite. Like things like that. Um, I have one you? too. I have one like literally on that same level. 
It is, why did the cucumber blush? Mm. I don't know. You don't know? <laughs> because uh, it saw the salad dressing. Oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. You're so dumb. Uh, what, so last question is, what set of items could you buy that would make the cashier the most uncomfortable? Um, it's not what I could buy. It's what I do buy. Um, when I go to the Dollar Tree, my favorite like microwavable meal is from the Dollar Tree, kind of like low-key gross, but you guys can't judge me until you try it out yourself, but it's a chicken fajita bowl. And, um, I will buy an ungodly amount of those. So when I come and I've pretty much bought out their entire stock, they, they get a little uncomfortable. <laughs> so. Oh gosh. Oh, yeah. I don't I like it's kind of reminds me of I used to this place that I used to work at we would have like a drink cooler but we would go to the local um like the local Dollar Tree to get the drinks but we would always buy like the small like I don't know in my opinion the small Gatorades are like Gatorades for kids you know what I mean it's yeah. like, those are the ones that I used to drink when I was little. Now that I'm older, I drink the full size one with like the little titty spout. Um, mm -hmm. But why well, used to go in there and buy like all of their miniature Gatorades and miniature water bottles. And every single time I just felt weird about it. Like, like, what do they think I'm doing? Like, I've got a home, like I'm fostering like 48,000 <laughs> kids and they all have a rampant addiction for Gatorade. Like it just made me feel so weird, like going in there to buy massive amounts of Gatorade all the time. That's hilarious. Yeah. I love that. But what I about you? Buy, I was just going to say, I only buy Gatorade when I have a hangover. I used to buy it all the time when I was an athlete, but now it's like the hangover drink for me. Um, but since it said what sort of items could you buy, I was thinking like what would make a cashier uncomfortable and I'm thinking like buying a fifth of some alcohol and then also like a birth control test, like Ooh, or not a birth yeah. control, but a pregnancy test, a pregnancy mm. test. <laughs> or I like that might make them uncomfortable. Or like a bottle of wine. See this, this in my opinion yeah. would be the most uncomfortable. A bottle of wine, a plan B pill, and yeah. some kind of like bacterial like infection medicine like a yeast like yeah. you know like monostat monostat yeah monostat yeah. oh a plan b and a bottle of red wine that i can imagine i if i was if i was working somewhere and somebody came up to me i'd be like you know what honestly go off boo go off queen <laughs> she she fought the streets <laughs> yeah. tell me what you really think <laughs> yes dude oh my goodness well on that note, this has been like, I love the female energy radiating from this episode. <laughs> so much of it. <laughs> it's good though, because you know what? Like these are conversations that we need to be having as women. We have been so kept in the dark as far as our women's health in general is just, it's, it's shocking to me the things that you would think you would know at a very young age that you don't learn until your 20s. Like yeah. it, we need to normalize these conversations because I think what you're saying also about the, the thyroid issue you're having, Courtney, it's important that people openly talk about that because somebody might be having those symptoms and they have no clue what the fuck is going on with them. Yeah. And they're sitting there and they're like, they, 
they've never even heard about this. So it's important to have these discussions. Don't care if you're grossed out by them. Um, it is human anatomy. So get yep. with it or get gone. Yeah, no, nope, I agree 100%. But that is it for this week's episode. Thank you all for tuning in and listening. Courtney, where can we find you? So you guys can find me on Instagram at pilot.courtney with two Y's. And yeah, I just post my aviation journey and uh, my day-to-day life whenever I have the chance to. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us again today, guys. Don't forget to rate the show five stars. Leave us a review. We'll read it on the next episode. And again, just thank you all so much for tuning in and listening. As always, keep the blue side up and the brown side down.